Hey, Grace, it's great to be back with you. And listen, we've been going through the book of Jonah, and today is the last day of our series in Jonah. So, you know, they had to bring the closer in. All right, so for those of you who haven't immediately turned everything off, let's actually get into it. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and find it, we're going to be in verse 9 through 11, where we're finishing it out. And so just to recap real quick where we've been, uh, this is the story of God's angry little prophet Jonah, all right? And so he, he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach repentance to this group of people over here. And he has some hatred in his heart towards these people. He doesn't want to preach repentance. He doesn't want God's best for them. He wants God's destruction to fall on him. So he runs away. As you guys know, there's a, a storm that comes through. That's God sending the storm after him. Uh, he's thrown into the sea. God sends a great fish to swallow him up for three days, puts him back on dry dry land. And Jonah goes, all right, I get the message. I will go preach to them. He preaches the worst sermon of all time. And God uses that sermon to save 120,000 people, which by the way, for all my preachers out there, if you happen to be watching, like this should be, this should be filling us with confidence. So we can preach the worst sermon of all time and 120,000 people can come to faith. And so that's exactly what happens. Jonah, as we looked at last week, as Pastor Mike showed us at the start of chapter four is furious. He's furious that God would be so kind to them. He's furious that God is compassionate, that God is gracious. He's furious that God is relenting of his anger towards these people, that he's relenting of this destruction that he was going to bring on this people. And so where kind of where we left off last week is Jonah immediately leaves that, that, that conversation with God of being angry, and he goes and sets up on a hill overlooking Nineveh to watch because he's kind of hoping that God will actually still bring judgment on them. He's kind of hoping for that, which by the way, shows like what hate does to the human heart of how, like that's a disgusting thought that he would sit up on the side of this hill, hoping to watch 120,000 people be destroyed. What, what is that? That's hatred. That's what hatred does to the human heart. It, it, it morphs it. It makes it disgusting. It makes it less than what God intended it to be. And so in that hatred, he builds this shack, not a love shack, but a hate shack, right? Okay, so he builds this shack to watch the destruction take place, and then God does something kind of strange. He sends this vine to grow up, this plant to grow up, to cover over his head, and so it brings Jonah some relief, and Jonah is so excited, so pumped about this branch, but then God sends a bug who eats at the, the vine, eats at the branch, it, and the plant, it, it withers away, and then God sends a hot sun, and a, and a wind, and all this stuff, and and Jonah's overwhelmed to the point where he feels faint and wants to die. And that's where we're picking up here. So if you'll read along with me, we are in Jonah 4, verse 9. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jonah is so dramatic. If he had a Spotify playlist, it would, it would only be My Chemical Romance. Like that's all that would be on it. So anyway... He says, I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. And so the book of Jonah ends with Jonah being angry. We don't see this great redemption of Jonah. We don't see him like turning into a better person. We don't see like this big story of redemption for Jonah. Instead, it ends with him being angry. And, and I want to focus in on God's question to Jonah about his anger. And so let's look at it together. Here's what, here's what God says. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
Now, I think it's important for us to say this about the plant because what that indicates, or what at least it indicates to me, is that maybe the problem for Jonah is not his anger. But because we recognize that sometimes anger can be a good thing. The scriptures tell us, be, be angry, but don't sin. So sometimes it's a good thing. And it's not like God is offended that, that he would show, Jonah would show emotion in front of God. It's not like God can't handle our anger, right? And when you look at the book of Psalms, when you see the psalmist and what he writes, as you read his passion, there are times where he is angry. He's writing about how the, the wicked are succeeding and how the, the good are suffering, right? And so he's, he's really experiencing some anger. So it's not like God can't handle our anger. And by the way, again, sometimes anger absolutely is a good thing. Tim Keller actually spoke about anger, and in it he said something that, that I haven't forgotten. I, I want to show it to you. He said this, In its uncorrupted origin, anger is actually a form of love. And what he means by that is that anger can be our love in action moving against or defending the things that we love the most from the things that we view as threats to what we love the most. So, so love is moving after the things that we view as a threat to the stuff that we care about the most. It defends what we love the most. I'll give you an example of this, uh, this type of anger. Um, the, the house that we used to live in, when we first moved to Winter Garden, we moved into the downtown area, and the street that we lived on was really busy. It was busy all the time, uh, and people would fly down that street. It'd be like 25 miles per hour, I think is the posted um, speed limit there, and people would fly down that street. And it used to make me so angry because my kids played in the front yard. They played right there. Well, one day I was on the porch and I can hear the car before I can see it. It's, it's moving that quickly, right? So I can, I can hear this thing, this powerful engine coming. It sounds like it's going fast. And as I see it come into view, it is coming fast. And so in that moment, all I can tell you is that all of the dad's spirits in Winter Garden just filled me up. Like instantly I grew cargo shorts and, and I leaned down off of my porch and I yelled, because the window was down on the car, I yelled in this like, this dad growl that all dads have. I just went, hey, like just like that, right? I just like, I just let it out. And you know what happened? He slams on his brake. It scared the mess out of that guy. I got to be honest, it kind of scared me a little bit too. And so it scared the mess out of him. He slows down and he starts like looking around and he looks at me and I hadn't thought this far ahead. Like I didn't think he'd actually stop. And so like he looks at me and I was like, I don't, I don't know who said that. Maybe this guy over there. He sounds mad. You should slow down though, right? Like I, it, but, but that's the type of anger I'm talking about is that anger was defending what I love the most. But if, if anger defends what we love the most, what it also does is anger reveals what we love the most, right? It reveals what we love. And, and, that's, and, and that's just what anger does. It, it reveals what we care about the most. And so I want to say not all anger. You say all anger reveals what I love. No, it, it doesn't. Because I think it's okay to, to get ticked off from time to time. I do. I think it's natural. I think it's okay to have what I'm going to call small anger at small things. And you know what I mean when I say small anger at small things. Like, let's say you're at your workplace and you go into the break room because it's lunchtime. And you, you go into the, the kitchen and you open up the fridge. And your sandwich that you had brought for lunch that had your name on it, someone ate it already. I think it's okay in that moment to get a little ticked off. I think it's okay in that moment to go, I've been dreaming about that tuna salad sandwich, right? And now I've got to Uber eat something and, and I'm just, I'm so upset, right? Like, I think it's okay to feel that way. And I want to say too, if I just describe something that regularly happens to you in your workplace, you need to get a new job, all right? Because those are sociopaths. What type of person 
sees something clearly labeled and has zero empathy in their heart and just eats their food. Like, you could be next is all I'm saying. So you need to get out of there. But I think it's okay to feel a little bit of anger in that moment over a small thing. Or, or another one, like, have you ever driven through um, a fast food place before, right? You get all the way home with your order and it's wrong. I think it's okay to feel small anger over that small thing. I think it's okay to be like, oh, I drove all that way and they messed up. Happens to us all the time. My, my wife went to McDonald's just the other day to get all of us uh, food, right? The kids wanted happy meals. So, okay, tonight's the night. She goes, she gets it, she brings it back. They messed up the entire order. Like I literally opened my bag and it was KFC. I don't even know how they did it, right? And I think it's okay to feel a little angry about that. I think it's okay to have small anger over a small thing. But what about big anger at small things? Big anger at small things. And what I'm talking about is you're talking to your spouse and they say something that's a little bit biting, a little bit, a little, it, it's, just, it's just a little bit harsher than you were expecting, right? And in that moment, like you got little anger. You're like, oh, hey, whoa, why, why do you say that? Why do you say it like that? And they go, oh, I, I didn't mean it like that. Or, or no, no, that's, that's not, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say it like that, right? And then you walk away and you're still angry. And you go to bed and you're still angry. And you wake up the next day and you don't even want to talk to him that morning. You're still angry. What is that? That's big anger. And that says something about you. That's revealing something about you. Or, or you even think about maybe you're in traffic and you get cut off. Again, I think it's okay to have a little, little anger and, uh, over a little thing. And to go, oh man, that guy, he didn't even pay attention. Like I, He, he could have hit my car. Could, I could have been in a car accident, right? I think it's okay to feel that way. But I'm talking about big anger. So, so he cuts you off and then you go home, you're still angry about it. And, and you tell your spouse about it and you're still angry about it. And, you, and you're, you're eating dinner and, and you're snapping at your kids because you're still angry about what happened in traffic. That is revealing something about you, right? Because that's what it does. Big anger over these little things reveal our heart, reveals the things that we care about. That's what, that's what anger does. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's true for everybody. I think about my, my oldest son is a big gamer. He's really, he plays a PlayStation all the time um, and he takes it really seriously. And he should take it really seriously because he comes from serious gamer stock, all right? He comes from good stock and he's carrying on our name. When I got him his first PlayStation, I laid hands on him and I said, son, now may all of my Mario Kart skills and all of my Halo 1 skills be transferred to you. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you out there are going, I play Halo, it'd be fun to play Halo with Pastor Grant. Let me just tell you real seriously, no, it would not, all right? It would not be fun for you. You would cry and you'd quit Halo forever. All right, so anyway, so I, I lay my hands on, son, you, you are now carrying our name into the virtual world. And so he plays, but some, some days he gets so upset. It's not little anger, it's big anger. Like he screams and he, he, he just gets overwhelmed with how upset that he is. And when I come in there, I always say, okay, son, we're taking a break. Maybe we're not going to play for the rest of the day. Maybe we're not going to play for the rest of the weekend. I don't know, but, but we're taking a break. And whenever I explain that to him, you know what I say to him? Because you shouldn't be this upset over this game. In other words, this game now has your heart, and that's not okay. Because that's what anger does. It reveals what we care about the most. It reveals what we love the most, right? And it doesn't matter if you're a kid or, or it's happened to me as well. I, I, um, an example that comes to my mind very clearly, when I was in a former church, I had someone... Uh, criticize my preaching. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> What's to criticize? But no, they, they criticized my preaching and they did it in a very harsh way. They said things that were really rude about myself, about my family. They said things that were just incredibly untrue. And they just came up and said these things to me. And, 
I think it's okay. Again, in that moment, there was little anger. Like, oh, wow, I, I hurt my feelings. I wish she hadn't said it like that, or it seems unfair, or anything like that. But you know what? Later that day, I was still angry. And the next day, when I thought about it, I was still angry. And the next day, you know, Angel's like, hey, remember what so-and-so said? I'm like, I can't even talk about it. I was so angry. And the next time I saw this person at the church, I avoided them. I wanted distance between us. Why? Because there was, the anger was actually pointing to something going on in my heart. And what I realized was that I cared way more about what people thought about me than what God thought about me. I cared way more about getting a pat on the back when I preached than making sure that people, uh, their lives were actually changed. Like there was a pride in me, there was an arrogance in me that I didn't know was there, or at least I didn't know it was as big as it was. And that's what, that's what anger does for us. It reveals those things in us. It reveals our heart. It reveals where our affections are, what we care about the most. And that's what's happening here with Jonah. Let's look back at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. This is big anger, all right? This is not little anger. Wanting to die over a plant is not little anger. This is really, really big anger. Like, did Jonah just care about, was he a horticulturalist, right? Like, did he just really care about plants? No, right? This is revealing something about him. This is big anger, and God knows it. And so his response is a response about Jonah's heart. Not his anger, but his heart. Check it out in verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned, you care about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Let's keep going. Verse 11. And should I not have concern, should I not care for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? What does God do? God goes straight to the heart problem that Jonah's having here. He's, he's not saying like, hey, let's talk about your anger. Why don't you calm down a little bit? Why don't you practice some breathing exercises? No, he, said, he goes straight to concern. Where is your heart? And what God reveals is that what you care about more is this plant. And truly what you care about more is yourself and your own anger and your own revenge. Then you care about these people and what I care about. And that's the big problem. Jonah's anger revealed that his heart did not line up with God's heart. Jonah's anger revealed that his affections were not in alignment with God's affections. And isn't that true for all of us? Like, isn't that what pride is? Isn't that what arrogance is? Isn't that what lust is? Isn't that what gossiping is all about? Isn't that what greed is all about? It's our affections are set on other things. Our hopes are set on things that, that God doesn't want them to be set on. Our, our hearts are, are set on things. Our affections are lined up with something other than God's heart. And that's what anger can reveal. It can reveal this misalignment. And that's what it revealed for Jonah. And that's where God went. God said, I want to go straight to your heart. I want to go with you and look at what you care about. You know, Jesus in the New Testament has an encounter with a guy who says, hey, I want to know what it takes to inherit eternal life. And Jesus and him have a conversation about it. And by the end of it, says he's a rich guy. By the end of it, Jesus goes, I want you to sell everything and come follow me. And it says the guy walks away and he's sad. He's upset about it. He's upset. It's revealing his heart in that moment. And so what Jesus was doing, what was he doing? He was saying, hey, look, your heart is not aligned with my heart. The things you care about most, you shouldn't care about the most. And so I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to rearrange your priorities. I'm inviting you to line up your heart with my heart. And so that's the big question that I have to ask is this. What does your anger 
reveal about what you love? What does your anger reveal about what you love? And is it lined up with God's heart or not? You know, when we look at the way Jonah interacts with God here, it actually mirrors an interaction in the scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus talks about a parable of the prodigal son. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. A guy basically says to his dad, I don't want to wait to get my inheritance. I don't want to wait to get paid, right? I want, I want everything that you have for me. I don't want to come back here. I don't want anything to do with this family. I, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm out. Well, he goes out. He wastes all of his money. He hits rock bottom, decides to come back and beg to be a part of his father's household again. Not as a child, not as a part of, of the family, but as a servant. Just saying, I, my dad treats servants better than this rock bottom place I'm in. So he decides he's going to come back. He's going to repent. He's going to apologize. He's going to beg for a place in the home. When he's far away, the father sees him, runs to his son, falls on him, gives him a golden ring, gives him a new robe, throws a party for him. And then in the parable, Jesus tells us about the brother, which sounds a lot like Jonah. So let's look at it here. It's in Luke 15. The older brother became angry. Here we go. Anger, right here. This is big anger. And refused to go in. Instead of going into the party, instead of seeing his brother, who he thought he would never see again, he stays outside. This is big anger. So right now we know that there's about to be a window into his heart to see what he really cares about the most. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Can we pause real quick right there? Basically, what the father is revealing is, hang on, I, I didn't give you even one goat. You can have all of my goats. What the father is revealing is that the son's anger has lied to him, which is probably a good lesson for us to learn here on the side right here is that our anger can't be trusted. So his anger lied to him. It told him a story that wasn't true. So the father says, you have everything. Everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what's happening with this father in this moment? He's not looking at his son and going, stop being angry. How dare you disgrace me with your anger? Don't you dare step into my house and be angry like this. You need to calm down. He doesn't do that. What does he do instead? He goes straight for his heart. And he goes, no, 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 son, you're, the things you care about are, they're a little off. They're, they're not lined up with my heart. And so he's inviting him. He's saying, why don't you come and align your heart with my heart? Why don't you come and celebrate the things that I'm celebrating? Like, why don't you care about what's really important? Your brother who is dead is now alive. And so he's inviting him in. His anger has revealed his heart, and now the Father's going after his heart. And the same is true for you and me. May God, may, may God invade into our affections and align our hearts with him. And so what do we do now? I think a couple of things. The first thing is, I think we need to be introspective right now. So let me ask you, right now, as you watch this, wherever you are, whatever time it is, I want you to ask yourself this question. What have I been angry about lately? Not little anger, right? Not little anger. I'm talking about what's the big anger that I've had lately? What have I been so defensive about lately? Is it something at work? Is it something that somebody said in your family? Is it something you keep reading on social media or on the news? What's firing you up? What's getting you defensive? Now, let me ask you, what does that say about your heart? What does that say about what you care about the most? What does that say about where your affections are set? 
And do they line up with God or not? And if they don't, if instead it reveals that you actually love yourself more than you love other people, if it reveals that you actually love your opinion more than you love other people's experiences, if it reveals something ugly there, it reveals that your heart's not in line with God, then confess it and ask him to to change that. You know, going back to that that person criticizing my sermon in a harsh way, and again, (laughs) the audacity. But coming back to a person, that that criticism and, and my anger in that moment, I had to go to God and say, God, I recognize that this is wrong in me. I recognize that my pride and me wanting to look good more than I care about how you look to other people, that is wrong and I don't want it, but I can't change it. I can't just flip that switch in my heart or in my mind. Would you do that? That is a Holy Spirit thing. That is a making death to life thing. I can't do it. God, would you do that for me? I'm telling you, do the same thing. As you see, as your anger has revealed your heart and it's revealed that you have affections and you've placed your hope in things that are not in alignment with God, Ask him to make that change, and he can and he will. But I think the second thing we need to do is not just be introspective now, but be introspective moving forward. And let me give you an example. So when I was in college, I was in a fraternity. And I don't know what you're thinking. You're looking at me and you're going, yeah, that guy parties. I get it. But I was in a fraternity at a Christian college, so we didn't, like, drink till we passed out. We quoted scripture till we passed out. Wink. So I was in this fraternity, and when I was pledging it as a freshman, um, we went through some difficult nights. Now, again, Christian college, so there was no hazing. Wink, wink. Um, and so our last night of being a pledge, they said, we're going to take you out on a camp out. And it's going to be great. And they even, to be nice, it was, a, it was a far distance. So they drove. So we didn't have to pay for gas or anything like that. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Looking back on it, it was so that we couldn't escape. Uh, but still, they gave us a ride out there. To fast forward through the night, there's a lot of twists and turns, but at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's 40 degrees outside. I don't have socks and shoes on, nor do I have a shirt on, and I'm running through the woods. That is what's happening to me at 2 a.m. And what they had set up was there were stations in this woods that I had to go from station to station to station. And once I got to the end, congratulations, you're in, right? And so, so I'm going station to station, but what they did was they would have flashlights at these stations and they would say, you need to go to the next one, it's that direction. They would flash the light on, literally flash it on for a second so I could see the direction, then they would turn it off and I would take off into the woods. And I would stumble and I'd fall and I'd step on things, I'd run into things, right? And then like, as I got closer to the next one and they heard me fighting my way through the woods, they would flash on the next light for just a couple seconds so I could kind of see and they'd turn it back off, right? And, and those, those little flashes of light became little windows of clarity that I needed in that moment. Not clarity enough to think, this is stupid, I should go home, but clarity enough to navigate through the woods. And what I'm saying is, as you move forward, like let your anger, let these flashes of anger that you have serve you as windows into your heart, as windows into places you don't normally look. Because the reality is, as we build our idols, we build them very subtly. We build them very quietly. They They don't step up overnight. Like these are things we build day after day after day, choice after choice after choice, until sometimes we didn't even realize we built them. And what anger can do, if we use it properly, it can be a window into places we don't normally look in our heart. It can put a spotlight on idols we didn't even know we had built. And so pray, I'm I'm seriously challenging you this week, pray every day, God, would you give me a sensitivity to use these flashes of anger as windows into my heart to see where, where my heart doesn't align with your heart, right? Pray that God would give that to you. Pray that he would allow you to train your heart in that way. 
And you know, as we close, I want to ask one more question. As we look back at Jonah 4, and as we look at the end, why does it end this way? Why, why did God, in, when Jonah's sitting in his hate shack, why did God like have this plant grow and then he had a bug kill it and then he sent the sun to make him feel faint? Why? Was it punitive? Like, was he angry with him? Was he like, I'll show you to be angry at me. I'll, I'll get you for this. Was it to push Jonah away? No. In fact, I think it was to win him back. What God was doing was God had, had structured this situation and structured this this scenario that he was in to reveal to Jonah, your heart is not where my heart is. And my heart is eternally good. And it was to invite Jonah, Jonah, will you align your heart with mine? It was to win him. And just as God had, did not give up on his angry little prophet, he will not give up on his angry little people. He can be trusted with our anger. When we find this big anger that we shouldn't have, we can go to him with it. When we find this misplaced affection, we can go to him with it. He can handle it. And you go, how do you know that? The cross is how I know that. Angry people nailed Jesus to the cross. Angry people crucified him. Angry people shouted at him. Angry people mocked him. And Jesus could have left at any point. He could have ascended into heaven and took his rightful place next to the Father at any point, but he didn't. He took their anger. Why? so that he could save us from our anger. He can handle it. He can handle our anger. So I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for me as we close today. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your love towards us. We are grateful that you have not left us in our anger. You have not left us in a place where our affections are misplaced, and you said, well, you guys can't even figure it out. Instead, You want to help us. That your word says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and we'll find mercy and help in our time of need. That, Father, as we find big anger that shouldn't be there, you want to help us with it. You want to give us grace. You want to give us mercy. You want to help us. And as we find places where our heart, as I've found so many times, where where my heart and where our hearts are not aligned with your heart, you're inviting us into alignment. You're inviting, you're inviting us to be closer to you, to be step in step with you, and you will do that work. You'll flip that switch we can't flip. You'll bring the dead parts of our hearts to life. So Father, we're grateful for that. I pray that that work continues in myself, and I pray that that work continues in my brother and sister's lives, even now. We love you. We trust you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.